Welcome to this episode of To Differ is Divine, a podcast about spiritual permeability from the Episcopal Diocese of North Carolina, hosted by Bishop Sam Rodman, Bishop of the Diocese of North Carolina, and Rabbi Raquel Jurevics, the diocesan rabbi-in-residence and former leader of Yavna, a Jewish renewal community located in Raleigh. I'm Summerlee Walter, the producer for this podcast, and I'll be introducing each episode. To Differ as Divine is an invitation to devotional friendship between souls on different paths, including those who do not follow a particular religion. Our host will explore the writings and practices of their respective faith traditions as a conversation between different expressions of God. This exploration of spiritual permeability is a way to enrich one's own practice while contributing to a world without religious prejudice or fear. In this episode, Rabbi Raquel and Bishop Sam return to the Psalms and discuss Rabbi Raquel's choice, Psalm 145. Starting from the question of, does God need to be praised? And if so, why? They explore the ideas of humility, awe, abundance, divine creativity, and our role in all of it. Like all episodes of To Differ is Divine, this one includes detailed notes to provide additional context for the religious practices and concepts our hosts discuss. We hope you'll take the time to read them and learn a little bit more about an unfamiliar faith tradition, or maybe even your own. I invite you to enjoy Speaking of the Psalms, Psalm 145, Episode 6 of To Differ is Divine. Welcome back to our conversation around psalms that are particularly precious to us. I'm Rabbi Raquel Jurevics, and I'm here with my friend, Bishop Sam Rodman. The psalm that I would like to focus on in this episode is Psalm 145, a psalm of praise. And I'd like to preface my reading with a recollection of being in conversation many years ago with a friend who was quite seriously distressed around the idea that in prayer books, in worship, what she was hearing sounded as though God was in deep need of constant reinforcement. (laughs) If we were not telling God all the time how terrific God is, that somehow things would just all fall apart. And that in her sense of the world, she couldn't imagine what the point of that praise might be, and also had trouble imagining a mind greater than a human mind. And I know that there are folks who hold a deeply felt humanist understanding of the way we fit into creation, perhaps not even creation, but the reality that is whatever is in front of us, that we are in some way the highest measure of intellect or emotion. I'm not so sure about that personally, but I do take the point that there is something to inquire about when we offer praise, particularly the extravagant praise in 145, because once you start down that path, as we'll see when we go through the psalm itself, you bump right up against theodicy. You bump right up against questions of yes, but. And while we would like, I think, ideally to be in a yes and position theologically, sometimes we have to confront our ability or our inability rather to be clear about who's responsible for what. And I think that there's much in this psalm for which we praise God that in fact describes what we need to be doing as creatures 
made in the divine image. So if I claim to believe that, that in some way, for my part, not only all humans, but all being reflects the image of its ultimate source, I find there's a great deal to challenge us in this psalm around our responsibilities to one another. So the psalm begins, I will extol you, my God and sovereign, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day will I bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the eternal and much acclaimed. God's greatness cannot be fathomed. One generation shall laud your works to another and declare your mighty acts. The glorious majesty of your splendor and your wondrous acts will I recite. People shall talk of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will recount your greatness. They shall celebrate your abundant goodness and sing joyously of your beneficence. The eternal is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in kindness. I want to stop at the end of that verse and say a few words and then hear from Bishop Sam what he might make of them. This psalm is part of our liturgy, and it's recited three times a day. It forms an anchor to the act of liturgically praising the Holy One. And it is chanted in a melody that I truly love and is one of my earliest memories of learning to participate in liturgical chant growing up in, in the synagogue we attended. So it's very familiar in the Hebrew. It's an acrostic, which is, of course, always fun to see how the poet plays with the language in that way. And it is wonderfully extravagant. It enacts what we're doing because it's something we repeat every day. It's true. Every day I will praise you. This is part of the routine of our liturgy. So we are affirming in the very words what it is the words say that we're doing. One generation shall lodge your works to another. This, of course, pulls one's heart to the sense that if I have this psalm in front of me, if I have these words, I have them because they've been precious to previous generations. It's not something I, I found, even though I may find in books of poetry something that deeply touches my soul. I've discovered it in a new voice, and that's somehow different than receiving, in a sense, the voice of my ancestors and thinking about the many, many generations that have recited this out of a sense of awe in front of the wonders that we have seen transpire. We say then that we're going to join in. I will recount your greatness. I'm going to be part of that chain of, of receiving and transmitting. And I will let others know that you've been beneficent to me. That last verse, the eternal is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in kindness, of course, comes from Exodus, from God's self-definition to Moses when they have the encounter when Moses is hidden in a cleft of rock and all of God's goodness passes before him. That the, These are words that God has used to describe God's own self. And these are qualities that we depend on because we know our own limitations. The beginning of your reflection from the comment of your friend about what is it with God that God is so insecure that we need to build God up all the time is such a wonderful question to ask. 
with a psalm that is so effusive in its praise. And your use of the word awe a moment ago, for me, was a window into exactly why there's a different way of experiencing this psalm. And you testified to that in terms of its use in your worship, which is to express awe as a human being is a tremendous gift to us. So rather than this being for God, this is actually, it builds something up in us. And I I dare say that when we express awe, what it builds up in us is humility. And that's a gift. (laughs) It's a gift that we probably don't appreciate as much in this culture and society as we might. But authentic humility, which is not putting oneself down, it's not, as we were talking about in our last podcast, about being so caught up in your own sinfulness that you can't see the light of day, but it is very much that when we are in the presence of the fullness of the holy, and we see that we are both connected to it and wholly separate from it, it inspires in us a proper perspective for who we are and who we belong to. And that is really what resonates for me in this psalm. And I can feel that when you read it, and I can feel your community offering it with you. I can sense that there's a choral dimension to that that is certainly pleasing to God because it's true, (laughs) (laughs) but not because God needs to hear it. (laughs) Let's talk about that in in a little bit, but but okay, for the moment, let's assume God doesn't need to hear it. (laughs) (laughs) So we continue with, and in this section, I can get back to that question of who needs to hear what. The psalm continues, the eternal is good to all, and God's mercy is upon all God's works. All your works shall praise you, O eternal one, and your faithful ones shall bless you. They shall talk of the majesty of your sovereignty and speak of your might to make your mighty acts known among people in the majestic glory of your sovereignty. Your sovereignty is an eternal one. Your dominion is for all generations. So here's where, in a small way, I feel the deepest resistance to my still dear friend, who is still not quite sure why God needs to be praised or what exactly the purpose of liturgy is, and yet does attend worship and does participate out of who knows what need to find a connection. My sense is that when we engage in communal prayer, and particularly in liturgical traditions where we are repeating the same words frequently, we have an opportunity every time we see them or read them out loud to hear them differently, to understand them differently. So it's a constant process of learning and of, in a sense, conversation with the Holy One. And as I've mentioned before, in my own sense of how creation emanates out of an inexhaustible and incomprehensibly vast divine source, when I read the eternal is good to all and God's mercy is upon all God's works, I'm not yet ready to go to that place of yes, but what I hear is this is true. We have been given by whatever mechanism creation unfolds a planet that sustains our life. Hmm. 
it is an aspect, I think, of divine mercy and grace that if we were to be, and I, I like what you had to say earlier about humility, Bishop Sam, if we were humble enough to recognize our dependence on the ground out of which we have been made, we might recognize the inherent goodness of creation and its capacity to sustain us. And that when the next verse says, all your work shall praise you, your faithful ones shall bless you. I think, well, I'm not the only one. I'm not the part of the only species that praises God. There's actually a little series of verses that are found in the, the tradition called Perak Shira. These are verses of song that are attributed to various animals and to the clouds and the mountains. These are verses of praise to God from all of creation, not just from people. So our ancestors clearly understood that we are not the only faithful ones, that God is in relationship with all being, and that it is part of that chorus of praise to which if we add our voices, we might try to do so with a bit more humility about our role in things. In one of the teachings of the early rabbis, it says, you know, the gnat was created before you were. So if importance is in order of creation, you are the last, not the first to try to step down off of that high horse. Uh, that we have a responsibility then, as all of creation does, to make the power of divine creativity understood among other people and the majesty of divine sovereignty, which, and again, this is entirely personal, but in my reading, is a majesty of a fully integrated creation that in its minutest fragment, perhaps holographically, shows forth the glory of its source. Mm -hmm. And that the dominion for all generations, the eternal sovereignty, that that speaks to the vastness of our universe and of perhaps the other universes out there, all of which sourced, at least for me, theologically in the same place. And thinking that perhaps we offer these words just to remind ourselves that there is so much around us that is a gift that we enjoy in no means out of merit, and yet we have a lot of work to do in figuring out how to care for it and how to use it in such a way that all of its component elements all benefit from that divine creativity. Mm. Such a powerful image of the way that God as creator is not just generating, but generative. The image that comes to mind is, is that ripple out when you talked about the universe is using the plural, but a common source and just the visual of things radiating out from that common source that are full of life, full of promise, full of gifts, full of opportunity and hopefulness. For me, part of why this psalm is so powerful, especially in our day and age, is because it is an embodied invitation to experience the source of abundance. In a world that is paralyzed with fear around scarcity, will there be enough? This psalm says, how could we even ask that question? There is all the time more and more. Uh, which is actually a line from our confirmation service that was one of Bishop Curry's favorite. More and more, we see the expression of the creativity, of the energy, 
of the essence of the Holy One radiating. And I loved your image of holographically in one another, in elements of creation, in the gift of all that surrounds us. And that's the other image for me that this psalm invokes, is that whether you're in the temple or in the sanctuary or in the church or on the street corner or walking across a field or approaching the ocean where the sky and the water meet and you see the horizon, these are all expressions of that awe that's invoked when we say the psalm. And it becomes an invitation to something that is ever-present, even though we often seem to miss it. And so the psalm, for me, also becomes a touchstone, a reminder, calling back to have my eyes opened to that promise. Indeed, and I think to your point, these examples that you just gave are all examples for which there are blessings. We have a blessing to say when we see the mountains. We have a blessing to say when we get to the ocean. Uh, We have a blessing for a beautiful blossoming tree, for encountering a wise person, even for encountering somebody whom we perceive as somehow not as well-made as we think everybody should be, that we need to recognize that whatever has been created is an expression no less of the divine reality than anything we think of as being beautiful by our standards. So we're, we're forced to wrestle with differing understandings of what fits where and the limits to our own comprehension about the role that everything plays in the divine creation. What follows in the psalm represent to me a kind of homiletic list of here are the ways in which you are called on to act out of your sense of being among those things created in the divine image. Here's what you do as a manifestation of God in the world to make real all of these blessings. Most of these are things that do not require divine intervention. If we're walking along the street and someone stumbles next to me, I'm the one there. The Lord supports all who stumble and makes all those who bent stand straight. I offer my arm to somebody who needs help getting up out of a chair. I keep someone from falling who's walking next to me. This is akin to the commandments, I think, in the Holiness Code in Leviticus. These are commandments of mutuality and care and community and human responsibility in the world. The eyes of all look to you expectantly and you give them their food when it is due. Yes, because I know that it's my responsibility to do the best I can to make sure that there is nobody going hungry. If I can make somebody less hungry directly by feeding them in my home, if I can donate to a food bank, in any direction, the question of how food is distributed in our world is up to us. We are given the stewardship and the responsibility. And of course, we need to recognize that everything that grows on this planet grows on a planet that was given to us. And ultimately, we need to thank the one who created it. But we have to see that it's distributed even-handedly. In the next verse, you give it open-handedly, feeding every creature to its heart's content. As Bishop Curry likes to say, there's more. There's enough. There's no shortage of what we need in this world. So the eternal is beneficent in all God's ways and faithful in all God's works. The Lord is near to all who call upon God to all who call upon God with sincerity, with a sense of awe and relationship. That is, that God is doing God's work and calling us to do our work within the context 
of what's been provided for us. So that I read the following verse with an interpolation, because we can do this, God fulfills the wishes of those who are in awe of God. That is, we hear the cries and the needs, and we can help provide the deliverance. That there are miracles every day, miracles of human care and mutuality. So that, of course, the eternal watches over all of those who love God. And then the next half verse, but all the wicked God will destroy. I'm not so sure about that as an inspirational verse. First of all, the idea of praying or expecting God to act in such a way among the wicked as if anybody could be imagined to be always wicked. The sense that, as poor David was saying in the psalm that we were discussing in the last episode, wicked seems to fix a person like a poor insect pinned to a board. Could be wicked this moment and good the next. This mutability of human choice and action and behavior. I think that there is something in this about the capacity for choosing wrongly is perhaps diminished in those who turn their hearts more consistently, more determinedly, who practice more as being of service to one another as a way of being of service to the Holy One. And of course, we, we end with this lovely verse, my mouth shall utter the praise of the eternal and all creatures shall bless God's holy name forever and ever. Going back to Parak Shira, to these verses of song accumulated to represent all of nature blessing the Holy One, this reminder that the act of praise is something, it's not a human thing that we're offering because we're worried that God needs to be reinforced. But it's something that's inherent in nature. We are moved to call out because we recognize how extraordinary it is that anything exists, which is quite the mystery still scientifically, why there is something and not nothing. So we have reason for that. But just to prompt furthering the conversation, I actually have a favorite midrash that argues with this a bit. Has God saying, well, if you witness me, if you pay attention to me, then I'm God. If you don't, it's as if I'm not God. And that seems to say that God's well-being depends on our paying attention. And I'd love to reflect on that because I suspect that it's a bit of, through the words of the commentator, it's a bit of, of God being snarky with us. Of course, God is still God. But when we fail to be in relationship to God, when we fail to be witnesses to what God puts before us, then it's as if there is no God, and there then is no particular point for those who are to witness divinity in terms of judging the value of their own actions, which is not a terribly humanist thing to say. But while I do believe we can make wonderful, positive choices and act in absolute goodness without religion, I also think for people who struggle within a faith tradition, the sense of finding a way to, rather than thinking, well, we're doing this because God needs to hear it, is we're doing this because we need to hear it, that if we are in any way made in this manner, we have agency, we have capacity, we have value in ourselves, and we have value that we can recognize in everything else. Mm. What you're just describing in terms of that mutuality and that agency and activated, and that's part of the testimony of the psalm, often we are responding to God's initiative. God is the great initiator in some respects in this psalm, and we celebrate that by responding. 
There's a hymn that was recently broadcast on a classical music station here in North Carolina. The title is How Can I Keep From Singing, which I love because I think it resonates with the meaning and the power of the psalm as you just described it. In response to who God is, what God is doing, and how God is generating in us and around us, how can we not open our mouths in praise? It is almost like a reflex or conditioned response or, you know, whatever the metaphor is, or in our tradition, and I believe in yours as well, there's the whole call and response way of teaching a song. And the cantor will offer the line and then the congregation responds. And that is through and through, I think, a part of the spirit and the energy that this psalm conveys. And I love that both as an invitation, but also as a descriptor of what the relationship is intended to be. I don't pretend to have plumbed the depths of the complexity of that mystery, but my heart can respond without that grander understanding because my heart sings in response to what I see and what I hear and what I feel. And that is, for me, part of what is at the center of this psalm. So, the line that speaks to that is, the Lord is near, in my translation, the Lord is near to those who call upon him, to all who call upon him faithfully. And to me, the psalm brings the Lord near because it celebrates that initiative and our response. Amen to that. Well, thank you all for joining us and for a wonderful, deep and rich exploration of this psalm, Psalm 145. Rabbi Raquel, a great choice for your offering to our conversation. Join us next week on To Differ is Divine for the start of our special series for Lent.